Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. If you love books, you probably don't need a reason to curl up in a comfortable place to relax and read or a new season. But there are certain there are certain times of the year and activities that a good book is an essential part of. Vacation is one of those times. You're looking to relax and a book is most often part of those efforts to wind down and not be rushed around. Today's Smart Talk is our annual program on good books to read this summer on the beach, at the pool, in the mountains, or at home on the deck or patio. We have our panel assembled to discuss books they are reading and would recommend. Joining us, and always glad to see them, Catherine Lawrence, a writer herself and owner of Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg, Todd Dickinson, an owner of Aaron's Books in Lidditz, and John Walker, who blogs at johnosbookreviews.com. Welcome to the three of you. Always good to see you. Thanks Hi, Scott. for having us. Thank you. And we also would like to hear from you, books that you're reading, books that you have a question about, suggestions, something you've read recently. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You know, we do this at least twice a year, the you know beach reading or summer vacation reading books that we recommend uh, and also we do it at the holiday season books for mm-hmm. gifts so i always look forward to those two shows just because i mean for uh, several reasons but uh, the the three of you always have some good ideas and good suggestions that's one thing and i know our, our listeners enjoy it but it also reminds me that hey we're going into summer vacation season and then at the end of the year hey we're going into the holiday season so th- that's what the three of you when I see you, that's what you remind me of. So you've made me happy anyway, okay? <laughs> well, we're glad it's a good connotation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, let's get right into it. And uh, Catherine Lawrence, I just said to you, you kind of went wild with your suggestions this time. You have a whole lot. Well, there are a lot of, you know, it's not just um, uh, people's reading, but from a publishing industry perspective, there are a lot of books that are pitched with spring releases to make their way into the summer catalog or summer releases, so it's um, it's a great time of year. And also, um, unlike at the holidays, you might be buying gifts for others, but summer reads, ah, you're probably right. buying for yourself. That's right. And so it, it's fun to talk about books that people themselves are going to take. And maybe I have, say, biographies on my list, and they might be a large book that they make their way through over the course of the summer. So it might be a book that's with you for a while, or even if it's just for a weekend at the beach, it, it's with you, you know, in hand and in the splashes of water and sand for that long weekend so um it's a a special time of year to be getting books for yourself the the two of you with bookstores i'm curious uh when are there different customers or maybe do customers have different likes and dislikes uh when they come in at the beginning of the summer and at the holiday season well for us uh the holiday season really is buying for other people and that's 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 the big difference um for for me, I think one of the interesting things about summer reads is people have very different opinions on what that means for themselves. So they, you know, they're buying for themselves. They're buying things that they want to read. And some people are looking for um, light, relaxing uh, escape uh, escape reading at the at the beach or, in, or on vacation. And other people are looking for that all summer long, stay with you, uh, deep, serious uh, uh, thing that they, that they they felt they didn't get a chance to get to other t- uh, mm-hmm. at another, another mm-hmm. time. So summer reading means very different things to different, different people, and it's fun to try to match the people with uh, with what they're looking for. That, that makes a whole lot of sense. All right, let's get into it, because I know that the uh, audience is like, all right, Scott, come on, let's talk about some books. <laughs> and Catherine says, I want to start with 
two that you have, and I'm not going to do it in chronological order, but uh, two that you have right off the bat. And one of the things I always appreciate is that you always point out some local authors. Right. And one that I just got my copy today. See, this was my summer reading pick for you, but you already have it in hand. It (laughs) just released yesterday. That's right. I just got it uh, by uh, Cooper Wingert who uh, has been on our show a couple times and has written 10 books at the age of 18. Extraordinary fellow. His latest book is Slavery and the Underground Railroad in South Central Pennsylvania. And uh, I contacted Cooper, and we're going to have him on our program here in the near future. But let's talk about that first of all. Right. Oh, well, you know, Cooper's such a terrific, young, but uh, incredibly accomplished historian. And it's great to have him turn those efforts to our area and explore this aspect of the history of our area in a in a way that also brings to bear all that he's learned about, you know, sort of the wider um, history of the Underground Railroad and of the Civil War as his specialty. So we're really excited about that book and to have him come for a signing as well sometime. Oh, so, you are? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I actually, when we probably have mentioned this on the air before, when uh, I interviewed uh, Cooper Yes, we at were delighted store. to have That's you right. as our, uh, to interview him and you did such a fascinating job of just drawing out his story both the he has such great thrill of going into the archives and discovering whether it's um it looks like they're you know photographs early photographs or um i don't know what they might be from muster rolls to other kinds of uh, lists and um, papers and then making that into a story that will be interesting to the general reader so it's a very accessible kind of history that he writes as well um so it's a great balance in that sense and he writes the clarity of his writing exactly is just fantastic i mean you know exactly what he is saying and mm-hmm. uh yeah so highly recommend it the slavery and uh underground railroad in south central pennsylvania by Cooper H. Wingert. All right, now, the other one I want to bring up, also a history book, but it has been getting so much attention otherwise, and that is Ron Chernoff's Alexander Hamilton. And, you know, this is kind of unusual in that this book was written in 2005. It was right. published in 2005, but got a second life because of the, the play on Broadway. Yes, right. And now it's back on the bestseller list as a paperback for the most part. Yes, right. We've got uh, this massive... Uh, this, it this is This is massive. The, the very 800-plus page book, but it tells the full story, and it is the book that, um, among others, helped inspire Lynn manuel in his writing of now the Pulitzer Prize-winning musical, which... Um, if you, no one can get tickets, but go get the soundtrack. I We've just learned that Jono is himself a descendant of Philip Schuyler, of Elizabeth Schuyler. So everyone, go really? go read about this family. And um, Chernow's book was an incredibly um, interesting account. And I think I've probably personally even always been... I even did a high school paper on Hamilton and Jefferson and uh, and their story. And I think it's a, a, a great story. And so I'm really pleased to see that people are coming in to buy this um, fascinating history tome as a, a summer pick. It's just flies off our tables oh, it's despite so it's, it's the, really the heaviness well. of it. Yes, it's right. Really well. and, and we've actually uh, sort of assembled a whole series of related books that people might want to read, whether it's the actual book that Manuel himself has written that is the screen, that is 
basically the script with annotated notes for the musical itself, but also we've got a lot of um, historical fiction and other biographies of the era, so I'd recommend, for instance, America's First Daughter by Stephanie Dre. She's a Maryland writer. and They're both Maryland writers and Lori Kamoy, and um, that's about Thomas Jefferson's daughter. So if you are interested in this period, there are m- many more than just the great generals to read about. Right. You can read about any aspect of that society and they're, they're great books on that topic. I'm actually reading uh, Jefferson's America right now to interview the author, and if right. that's about the Louisiana Purchase and uh, right. how that occurred during the Jeff- Jefferson administration. All right, so let's move away from, his, from history for just a moment. Uh, I know we're going to go back to it, but uh, Todd Dickinson from Aaron's Books, uh, looking at a, a fiction book that uh, you're mentioning, The Little Paris Bookshop by Nina George. Tell us about it. Right, it's a, um, it's a beautiful book. Uh, Contemporary fiction um, set in uh, set in Paris. Uh, the main character owns a, a bookshop on a barge on the Seine, uh, which I think is every bookseller's dream. Um, and uh, and he really prides himself on uh, on being uh, that bookseller that can that can match the book with what the what the reader needs in their life, um, and and finding that uh, that that perfect fit. Um, so wait a minute, you would leave Lidditz to go to Paris? <laughs> well, there's two or three places in the world that I would live in. I'm, I'm, you know, but uh, but yes, Paris is on the list. Uh, but um, you know, if it's on the if it's on the Seine itself, of course, you know, not not just anywhere in Paris, right? Um, but uh, so he's uh, you know he, he, he prides himself and, and has a reputation for for finding that that perfect book, which is every bookseller's dream as well. And uh, and then it uh, ends up uh, talking about his own life and and what and what is missing in his in his life and so it becomes uh, a personal story of, of, of him and his background and 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 his fa- look for for that for that missing piece in his own life that uh, that he's he uses books for for other people and what he's looking for for himself hmm. you know you had mentioned to me before the show mm-hmm. that one of the things we should talk about and I think it's a good idea is how you do find books for other people when mm-hmm. they come into the store and they're asking some questions yeah how do you go about that well for a lot of people they just say you know, I read and they give you give an example um, of of a book and say what else do you have, uh, and that's always a challenge. Or people just say I need uh, I need something good and light, uh, and it takes a lot of questions to, to to narrow down exactly what it is they're looking for. Um, if someone's coming in and has read uh, Hamilton, are they are they looking for things about Revolutionary War or are they looking for uh, American history, or are they looking to to get deeper into any any historical character that um, that they weren't really familiar with before? So maybe you're recommending um, another founding fathers book, maybe McCullough's John Adams, uh, but or maybe you're looking for something uh, a lot more contemporary, whether it's a, it's a book on on Patton or um, on Martin Luther King. Um, it's really about what it is that they connected to because if you if you just search for comparables to Hamilton you're going to come up mostly with things that you know that we can name off the top of our head but if you figure out what it is that they're attracted to um you know for example uh you know people who maybe who are are mystery readers who are looking for something a little different uh may not be aware uh, John Sanford has a very popular uh mystery writer has co-written a science fiction book where there's a where the mystery of um, uh, in in deep space, and so or if someone has read The Martian, um, maybe it's not 
the science fiction part, maybe it's the science part that appeals to them. Hmm. Um, and so there's uh, it's it's a really a discovery so process. So you kind of do the same thing I do every day, just ask questions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think too, uh, I think when people come to an independent bookstore, they come actually with a very, I find them very open-minded, as you say, they right. you know, with very wide-ranging possibilities. So we we have, um, we set up at like the, the front tables when you enter our store are filled with staff picks. I know you have mm-hmm. lots of staff picks as well. And we have a really interesting and diverse staff. I'm always <laughs> surprised when I see, we put out the call, like, okay, summer staff pick time. And um, our staff pick fascinating, interesting, amazing books that I'm, that are different from, you know, my picks are going to be Jane Austen. They pick a whole array of things. And we put these out on the tables and there's a bit of competition between them to see oh, whose book is the one that's, you know, going through the copies mm-hmm. most quickly. But that really means people come in with an open-mindedness, I think, to say, well, what is going to be appealing to me? And, and what, mm-hmm. what a sense of exploration that you don't, that is not part of the shopping experience when you're going to a big box store. You have a destination in mind there. But when you enter a store like ours or Todd's, there's a sense of exploration and possibilities. And we really like presenting lots of surprising possibilities to our, um, to our customers so they come come in and find something they didn't expect. That's almost more fun than getting just what you wanted. Yeah. All right, well, let's get the other side of it. John, Wa- John Walker blogs at John's Book Reviews. So you're on the other side of it. Rather than selling books, you're looking for books. Mm, and maybe this can, can you know, provide a little bit of uh, assistance to our audience here. What are you looking for when you go into a store? Well, I research before I go into a store. I'll go online. So you read, decide what you're going to read. (laughs) I'll see what the New York Times is talking about. Uh I'll go to Goodreads. I'll go online. My wife's in a book club, so I'll see Uh what they're they're reading. And so I have some idea in in my head before I go into a bookstore. And then once you're there, you don't usually have, you don't stick with that list. You usually branch out. Yeah. I mean, when there's... It's not millions, it's, or maybe hundreds of thousands of books in there. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's a good figure. It or is. Not. Yep, that's okay. right. Uh, when you go in there and you pick up the one that you were researching, it is hard to not look around. And, and sometimes say, the one you researched thought was really good. You brought it home and you, you just it isn't any good. All right, <laughs> All right. well, John, we're going to go. That's a different show. Go with John's pick. You know that is the show. The <laughs> books of all time. <laughs> books you can. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing books for summertime reading. We'd like to hear your suggestions. 1-800-729-7532. All I ask is be patient on the line because uh, we do have a few people calling in and uh, writing in. Or if you do want to send an email with a suggestion or idea or a question, send it to smarttalk at witf.org. Our guest today, John Walker, who blogs at johnosbookreviews.com. Todd Dickinson, an owner of Aaron's Books and Lidditz. And Catherine Lawrence, owner of Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg. Again, 1 800 729 7532. All right, John Walker, wanted to get to know you have a novel here The Orchardist by Amanda Copland. Yes. Tell me about it. Well, first of all, let me just say when it comes to summer reading, I fall in, I swing both ways. I can go light and airy, and I can go <laughs> all engrossing. Right. And this one, The Orchardist, happens to be one of those all engrossing ones. If you okay. stuck your nose into it at lunchtime at the beach, the next time you look up, all the umbrellas around you would be gone, and the sun would be setting behind the dunes. It's one of those kind of books. Um, it's set. It, it's her first novel, which is really impressive. Mm-hmm. And um, it's set in the Pacific Northwest at the turn of the last century. 
Um, all right, last century, 20th century? Yeah, like in 1890s, 1890s. Okay, there, all right. Trains are just coming through. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a simple story, sort of harsh but tender. It's got a as old of the as old as the hills kind of feel to it, uh, and it really just sucks you in. It's about um, this guy named William Talmadge, who he has a troubled childhood. I don't remember exactly what happens, but he loses his parents, and he ends up owning this orchard, plums, uh, peaches, apples, in the Pacific Northwest. And he's a loner, and it's kind of in a remote part of the part of Washington State. And one day, these two young girls, teenagers, like feral cats come start foraging food and you know and is stealing apples and stuff in his orchard and they and they happen to be heavily pregnant and he leaves out food for them and kind of but they're 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 like wild animals anyway only one of the women survives and only one of the other babies survive the woman's name is Della and the baby's name is Angeline and um, this man Talmadge raises Angeline as though it's a, it was his own daughter Della though is a troubled soul and she runs away uh, abandons her this little family that, that that they've created and goes on all kinds of adventures in in a man's world. She she uh, w- uh, wrangles wild horses with a bunch of American Indians. She does all this. She gets a job uh, cutting limbs off of the highest pine trees in hmm. a timber uh, a lumber company. She works in a cannery, and she's living on the edge. And that really is the the, the tension of the novel is you want this woman to. She's on a journey. You want her to find what she's looking for. And you certainly hope that she gets back. And Talmadge just waits for her uh, and brings up this daughter, Angeline, who's a wonderful girl. And it's just a, it's just a, it's a story that, again, will just really draw you in. You know, this sounds like it has potential to be a film. Yeah, it could be. It could be absolutely because yeah, it seems like there's a lot of layers to it. It's got a lot of layers to it, exactly, and there's yeah. a lot of and there's a lot of color to it. And there's some really wonderful characters, and uh, I can't remember the name of the woman, but there's this pioneer woman, who is the same age as Talmadge, but she lives in town and Talmadge lives out of town. But she gives Talmadge support, and but she's a real salt of the earth, independent pioneer woman. <laughs> all, all the descriptions you use are salt of the earth, harsh but tender. Well, that's what this book is all about. <laughs> that book is The Orchardist by Amanda Coplin and her first novel, and it sounds like a good book. All right, let's go to Gary in Juniana County. Gary, you're on the air. Hi, yeah. Uh, on NPR, oh, I can't remember. I think it was Diane Ream, but I'm not positive. It may have been the lady on Saturdays that basically talks about food-related Topics, but she had a Maya Shatreet. Uh, she's an MD, a pediatric neurologist, and the book is called The Dirt Cure, D I R T, Dirt Cure. It's a whole food, whole planet guide to growing healthy kids, and she has some research. It's a little tough to read in the middle, but oh my gosh, does it open your eyes as to food allergies and a lot of the things that, you know, what we've noticed here is when we get people from other places because of having the guest cottages, the kids today are just, I mean, every one of them seems to have a food allergy or ADD or whatever it is, and she has some reasonings behind it as far as that we've just basically gone the wrong way and become too clean, too self-conscious, not out in the woods enough, not out playing in the dirt. Hmm. So it's called The Dirt Cure, and it's by who? Dirt Cure. Her name is Maya Shatreet. Klein. She's a pediatric neurologist, and she treats many kids with some of the ADDs and some of the food allergies and uh, just a tremendous amount of um, research.
research has gone into it, so it's a little dry in the middle. But if you can get through the middle part, honest, the beginning and the end is just tremendous. Some of her conclusions and some of her things that she's been able to to almost fix or cure, or even, hate to use the word cure because, you know, I'm sure it's not the same for everybody, but... Um, gosh, it was really interesting. Hmm. Hey, thank you very much, Gary, for your call. You know, it makes me wonder, uh, the, the two of you in the bookstores, uh, do you sell a lot of uh, self-help books? Because that's basically a self-help, self-help book. Right, it's something else, too. So, Jonna was talking about the... Um the sort of emotional power of reading fiction and the characters that enter your mind and, and you um, identify with them and follow along and that is a, uh, that's what I like to do when I mm-hmm. go to the beach to read but there are many folks who are taking the summer as a time to reflect on how to make their lives better. It's not exactly what we would traditionally think of what I would put in our self-help category that we have, mm-hmm. yes but more of um, like um better living practices and we've talked about some of these books before that that would clear away the the sort of refuse of this is the opposite bring the dirt back in mm-hmm. it's right, kind of the right, antidote right, to the mm-hmm. books right. we talked about in the winter that are to clear clean your life and clarify it but we those books do really well those sorts of um books in which the reader gets to reflect on themselves and their lives and how they want to identify either with food or daily habits and practices. Um, you have some books on your list, Todd, that are mm-hmm. about, um, you know, going out into the woods. And I, I brought it and I brought I couldn't stop in my list. I brought it a staff <laughs> pick. One of our staff, Grace, recommends Rebecca Solnit's A Field Guide to Getting Lost, which is a book that came out a few years ago. But it seems this is selling off of our front tables um, with well, what's, what's Alacrity. I mean, uh, the, the title puts all kinds yeah. of images right. in it's my a, mind. It's the a personal story of a California uh, writer alive to the natural world. So sort of... Um, Creative nonfiction is how we would categorize mm-hmm. it, except it's on the on the staff picks table, and it has the sense of um, reading sort of naturalistically inspired essays to um, sort of the the Thoreau writers of our era. Um, I I think of them. So what, what's the name in the this in is the author? Rebecca Solnit, and the book is a field guide to getting lost. It's um, part personal memoir, philosophical speculation, natural lore, cultural history. And art criticism, says LA Times. But I think of it as basically philosophies for daily life, that type of book. We have others that are about um, bringing China, on my list I think I have one yes, that's about Chinese philosophy. Yes, you do. I was going to ask you about this. one of your best sellers. Yes, right. Um, that's the, the same kind of concept. It's called The Path. What Chinese philosophers can teach us about the good life. And uh, it's sort of a professor's uh, Chinese philosophy course turned into something that's applicable in a in a nice, discreet, small, easily book. readable yeah. book for the summer. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have a couple emails here, and I want to get to them. Anna asks, and she says, I've been rereading one of my favorite authors, uh, Haruki Murakami. I was wondering if the guest would have any suggestions of other authors or books of a similar genre. That is a, he's a great author. Um, I was actually first introduced to him by a suggestion of another reader in one of our book clubs. And um, there is a lot of great new literature um, from um, Asian countries now in translation. I think the one that we have that might have that similar sense of, so it's uh, sort of Japanese literature or Korean literature in this case that's in in translation with a sort of a, a surrealistic aspect to it. And I think we have one called The Vegetarian that is um, 
about um, it, it it can't be described it's not it's not about a boy who feels this way it's a much more a sort of a surrealist ex- mm. exploration of inside someone's head and you're you're never quite sure what's being described and um it's a fascinating story so so what is it that's What's called it? the vegetarian okay all right john we'll go back to uh one of your uh, suggestions and you say this book is flat out hilarious yeah. Now, there are not very many books that uh, you can sit there and just well, read. Well, this one, this one is flat-out chuckly hilarious. It's, <laughs> okay. it's called One More Thing, Stories yeah. and Other Stories by B.J. Novak. Yeah, and this is on the other end of the spectrum for beach reading. This is the light and area. I mean, you can you put this book on your lap, and you read a little bit, and you fall asleep. And then <laughs> you read a little bit more, and you watch the kids go by on the skimmer board, and you yeah. fall asleep again. And you put on some suntan lotion, and you read a little bit more. And they're very short. Some of the, some of the stories are literally just three sentences long. Some of them just a couple of pages long. Uh, and they're just... Uh, comments on modern living. I mean, this guy, he's, he, he, um, the author is B.J. Novak, and I've never watched the, the TV show the, the Office, but he's like a big star in there. And on the back cover, he looks like a really nice, funny guy. Uh, and, uh, and he is a nice, funny guy. Yeah. But he's, and he's, he's about as old as my kids, I think. And uh, it's, uh, he's really wired, and, and the, the world is different. I mean, the, the, our phones and our technology have change the whole equation of how people do business with each other. All right, give, me, give an example of something that made you laugh in the book. Okay, well, uh, the, um, the closure. This is a, we, we hear this. Right, you, you um, that person will have closure. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, or, or in the, uh, here's a better one, here's a, here's a more shorter one, is the, uh, the, the, the joy of, of being right. <laughs> and um, it's about a guy who, He's having an argument with his family, and they're going to make a big decision. And he's saying, "You know, if I do this, I'm, everything's going to be screwed up. We're going to be just my life is going to fall apart. Our lives are going to fall apart." And everyone said, "No, no, do it, do it, do it, do it." And so he does it, and of course his life falls apart. And you then you fast forward. He's on his deathbed, and he's miserable. And then the last thought he has is, "Ah." Uh, but I was right. <laughs> so there is, there is a joy to being right, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No right. matter what. <laughs> I, I think you're right about that. <laughs> uh, so the book again is uh, one more thing: stories and other stories. Okay. We I, I will mention uh, he also has a very popular picture book out right now, um, a children's book. Actually, um, it's actually called the book with no pictures, uh, and. Instead of uh, instead of having illustrations, it's the size of a of a large uh, hardback picture book, uh, but it's all uh, simple text. And the idea is that the adult is reading it to the child, and they have to read it as animatedly as possible oh. and make a complete fool of themselves. And so the the that's adult fine. is the adult is the entertainment yeah. for the for the book rather than the pictures. Huh? That's yeah. like Kramer's uh, coffee table. Yes, book exactly. that folds out into a coffee <laughs> table. <laughs> uh, okay, Todd. Let's uh, yeah. go back to some of yours. Uh, you always have some good fantasy books to mm-hmm. uh, to uh, suggest, and one you have on your list here is "Uprooted" by Naomi Novik. Naomi Novik, she's um, she's one of my favorites for um, for her uh, Temeraire series. It's a very unusual series where uh, it's an alternate alternate history. Um, uh, it's fighting the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, there's a, there's a whole series of of uh, people who who've written Napoleonic War books. Uh, um, especially naval battles, um, but with hers, um, uh, there are dragon battles during the Napoleonic War, and it's so it's, so it's a fantasy uh, alternate history. Um, she takes a very different 
uh, turn here and uprooted. Um, it has a, um, a real feel of um, uh, sort of a traditional uh, fairy folktale fairy tale. A uh, young woman um, is living what she what she believes is a completely un uninteresting life, um, and suddenly she becomes uh, an apprentice to uh, to uh, to the wizard who is uh, keeping the the evil woods at bay and letting these villages uh, exist because of, of of his work and his power. And he starts to train her and and uh, it's um, it is beautifully written and it and it feels very traditional as well as very very modern. Um, I I read a lot of fantasy and a lot of it can feel um, uh, rote, uh, but she she keeps it uh, very fresh. The characters you you really root for and it's uh, and it's a world and and unlike her series, this is this is a one uh, one novel book that I that I wish was a series because I want to go back to that world hmm. over and over again. And the name of the book and the Uprooted. Author? Uprooted and by name Unovic. And one thing we're going to do, Todd, a little bit yep. later is talk about some children's uh, suggestions, mm -hmm. yep. books for children's books, because let's face it, it's summertime, and if the kids aren't out of school yet, they will be very soon. Right. And you don't want them in front of a computer the whole time. And yes, it would be nice that they be outside, but it would be nice they read some books as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that in just a, a few minutes. Uh, Lisa from York says, for nice light summer reading, I recommend the In Death series by J.D. Robb. It's got mystery, romance, and science fiction. Who could ask for more? <laughs> right. J.D. Robb is the pen name of um, Nora Roberts, one of the most popular uh, romance writers out there. Um, but the, the Robb series brings a lot more mystery into it. Uh, also, we have a suggestion here from Pat in Waynesboro. Says, I forgot the author's name. I recently read a tremendous book, 1924, The Year That Made Hitler. Okay, but then he does say it's Peter Ross Range. It focuses on his first attempt to take over the government of Bavaria and then Berlin. It ultimately failed, and he was jailed for about a year. He came to the conclusion that he would have to work through the system the next time, and we know how that came yeah. about. And when he was in jail, he wrote Mein Kampf. By the way, do you have that in stock? Uh, we actually have it in our in our a glass display case, an early um, American imprint. It was published by Stackpole Press um, in Harrisburg, uh, and um, sort of to, as like anti-Hitler propaganda. But then he was getting the proceeds and royalties of it, and there were court cases involved. So so we do have it. Yes, both. Uh, See, I I always in, wondered who would read it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I I have to admit that I'm curious, but at the same time. It's written by Hitler. So yeah. I really don't, you know, you, you, just out of curiosity, what it, what it has to say, but at the same time, you don't want to read it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, all right, let's go to uh, a few others that we have here. Uh, I want to go to something that is uh, a contemporary book, Catherine, Evicted Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. Uh, we're doing a multi-month multimedia series on poverty here at WITF right. and obviously with your husband being the mayor of Harrisburg it's something that he has a great a great uh, interest in tell us about this book right and uh, you know we've got um, we have lots of folks who, who come in um, we have a big urban studies section in general of um, so I, I I'm always on the lookout for books that take um, an interesting that both look at the challenges that cities or towns are facing 
Green. You've had uh, an author on recently in Smart Talk talking about that, too, from uh, in Pennsylvania cities. And this one takes uh, a survey of Milwaukee. But um, what's interesting about it is that it is really much more like reading... Um, a uh, sort of it's much more creative nonfiction than it is a analytical history of the case. So um, so there's plenty of sort of sociological um, power and thought behind the stories. But then at the core, they're really stories about um, six different families and uh, some who are homeless and some who become homeless and counter to that the landlords who are themselves struggling to coordinate things and then sort of the big city forces around that. So what's most interesting and unique, I think, about this one, evicted poverty and profit in the American city. But in fact, it's really a collection of um, insightfully written stories, such as you would have in, say, like a news magazine mm -hmm. account of um, families and lives and the the emotions that are at the heart of um, people's lives as they work to survive and sustain themselves and their neighborhoods in a struggling city. Mm. Very timely, obviously. Mm. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. It's our summer read, summer book uh, program this morning, and uh, joining us on the program is Todd Dickinson, an owner of Aaron's Books and Lids, Catherine Lawrence, an owner of Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg, and John Walker, who blogs at johnosbookreviews.com. Suggestions that you have, something you've read uh, that you liked and you would recommend to other people, we'd like to hear that as well. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can do it on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. And we have an email here from Manuel Carlisle says, I decided to go back into antiquity for my summer read and pull out a copy of Herodotus Histories. Unfortunately, it's been so fun and engrossing, I'm nearly finished. Can you suggest something along a similar vein? Cleopatra. <laughs> it's not Greek. But well, well she, her, commonly she is kind of Greek, yeah. I think. If I remember it right, it's a it's a, a book by Andrea Schiff, I think her name is, mm -hmm. and um, it's ancient history, and you really I, I, you learn a lot about that whole pyramid thing. Mm -hmm. It's good. The whole pyramid. The thing, whole John. pyramid thing. <laughs> Actually, it's the pyramids are really old, so this is not quite that old. You learn <laughs> yeah. a, you learn a, a lot about uh, antiquity. Okay. Any other I would recommend that book. Or uh, Thucydides in our in our classics and history section. That would be one of the another sort of early um, ancient ancient historian that might be along the same lines. Okay, all right, uh, Todd. Let's go. Or no, excuse, John. I'm sorry, Todd. I'll go to you next. Okay. Uh, uh, the Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Yeah, that's another one of the the, the light summer reads. It's a. It's a <laughs> I can tell you're being it's sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's it's a it's a whodunit. Written by a British lady in the British tradition. I don't know what it is with that country with the whodunits, but they're into it. <laughs> and they do very well. They do very well. But instead of Miss Marple, you've got Rachel, who's a, who is is an alcoholic and she's lost her job and she's a mess. Uh, uh, but she and she drives rides this train, a London commuting train, every day to pretend like she's got a job so she can fool her roommate into thinking she's actually working. And she. Um, Every day she goes by this community that's right off the tracks, and she looks into the backyards, and um, 
and it happens to be where she used to live, and she's broken up with her husband, and you know, so it's all this women break up feeling stuff is part of it, and that's that's okay. <laughs> anyway, she's looking in this backyard, and it she helps you get to your sensitive side. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you're looking. She's looking in this backyard, and there's this couple, and she fantasizes of the ideal couple, and she gives them her names, and she likes to see them every day, and then one day she sees something very unusual, and then. The next day, uh, she finds out that the woman has been, uh, it has disappeared. Uh And so, um, you know, in a typical whodunit fashion, you go through these lists of people that it could be who did it, and you see the dark side of their personalities, and then all of a sudden you see the light side of their personalities, and go, well, they couldn't have done it. And you go through all the characters, and it's, it's just a really... Really well done. Who does? Very Agatha Christie like. It's Agatha Christie like, but it's and again, it's, it's just another one of the things that's set in the modern times. Like these couples, you know, have to see, keep secrets from each other, and you know, like they they're looking at each other's computers and they're trying yeah. to crash in so and get different. passwords <laughs> to see if they're having affairs with people. And so it's that's so that's called the Girl on the Train by yeah. Paula Hawkins, as opposed to the boys in the boat. That's right. right. That's uh, if we're going to keep it in the transportation mode. Um, all right, Todd. I mentioned yep. that you had uh, several suggestions for children's books. Right. Uh, how about we go through first through third grade, and then third to sixth, yeah. and fifth to eighth. Okay. So uh, first to third, one of our favorite new series is called The Princess in Black by Shannon Hale. Um, older, older kids may know her for, uh, for a really nice series uh, the, called The Princess Academy about uh, a girl who's very much a tomboy who has to be uh, trained to, to be a potential princess. Uh, a lot of fun. But these are little kid books um, and with you know, fun names and fun, and fun characters. Um, princess Magnolia is, this, is the main character. She has a unicorn named Frimple Pants. Uh, and uh, anytime there's a there's a threat to the kingdom, uh, she become uh, she turns herself into more of a Zorro like character, and she's the princess in black, and so uh, so wears mask and, and wears black and and, uh, and and saves the kingdom. So it's a really a fun twist on the uh, on the pink princess uh, story. So um, that's the princess in black princess and black? the hungry bunny horde. Right. Princess in Black and the Hungry Bunny, Hungry Bunny Horde. That's right. That's okay. that's the third in the series. All right. Pax by uh, and that Pax is P A X. P A X. It's been a, getting a lot of attention. It's a it's a sweet, beautiful, touching uh, story about a uh, a boy and uh, and his pet, which happens to be a fox. Uh, it's set in an, un, in an unnamed country where there's a war going on. Uh, his father says we need to we need to leave uh, home and find a new find a new place, um, but the the fox can't come with us. And that's third um, to sixth graders, by the way. Third to sixth grade. Right. Uh, so um, the boy leaves his best friend, his pet uh, fox named Pax, uh, in uh, halfway to their new place. They just they let him off into the forest, um, get to the new place, uh, and he decide the boy decides that uh, he's made a terrible mistake, and he and he runs off uh, into the woods to to, to try to find the fox. Uh, so it's um, it's a uh, got a little bit of watership down feel to it. It's got a little bit of um, um, uh, you know, a, a variety of stories of, of of kids getting caught up in war. But the war is 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 an important part of the background, but it's not a lot in the foreground. It, it makes, makes you know, so. Um, and then fifth to eighth grade, I would right. mention uh, Lillian Duncan. This is uh, my wife's uh, my wife Sam's uh, staff pick this year. Um, uh, set in eighth grade, um, there's a girl, uh, a transgender, who was who was born male, uh, who is struggling um, in a variety of ways. Uh, and then there's a new kid in school um, who uh, has a bipolar disorder. And um, the two of them um, sort of uh, join up to to, to help uh, 
uh, find their find their place in the world uh, while they're also keeping secrets from each other. So it's a uh, it's it's really interesting book about identity and very very well done. All right, so let me turn to Catherine. You also have some uh, young adult, uh, and we're going to put all these on our website, by the way, folks, because I know you always always get a call afterwards or an email afterwards. <laughs> what was the one that they mentioned? Uh, so, Catherine, you have some young adults, teenagers. Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll start. I'll sort of keep moving up. So uh, next, when they're when they're up to the next stage, sort of middle grade, um, that Rick Riordan has a new book just out. He's the famed for the Percy Jackson series, and the new series he's just beginning. The series is called The Trials of Apollo. And book one is the hidden oracle um, with um, the god Apollo cast down from Olympus after angering his father Zeus. And how, how will he sustain that? So that's for the sort of middle graders. And then I've got two different young adult picks. One, but although they're young adult, they have a really wide age range. So we have, you know, middle schoolers buying them. We have parents buying them for themselves or, you know, anyone, but really adults and young adults. But one is called Original Fake. And it's a Banksy-inspired illustrated novel, sort of a, sort of a graphic novel um, with just very appealing characters and a fun story. And then the second book I'd recommend is called The Star-Touched Queen by Roshani Chokshi. And um, that is a sort of sort of fantasy in a in a. Uh, not quite Game of Thrones in in a in a young adult version of um, there are, there are a lot of books in the series in which you have basically powerful female characters who are usually sort of princesses and queens but they are doing dramatic things in their sort of fantasy world and you know if the reader will finish with this and go on to read the fantasy books mm-hmm. that right. you've been talking about Todd is that probably their next step afterwards. All right, let's move on to and I'm doing this quickly because we have about ten minutes left in the program. Uh, John Walker, the invention of of nature, Alexander Van Humboldt's New World. Yeah. Catherine mentioned a book uh, about getting lost in the woods. Or, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the transcendental Thoreau and the transcendental writers, nature writers. Well, Alexander Van Humboldt it was their muse, the original. Right. He was the original. Before them all. He was the, he was the, he was the most influential person in the world for several decades in the early 1800s. It, I've never heard of, and I don't. I don't think probably many people have heard of him, but he was just, just an amazing scientist and poet at the same time. Uh, and um, he was a Prussian, an, an aristocrat. And back in those days, uh, a lot of these rich guys would become naturalists and they'd collect bugs and ferns and they categorized them. And write poetry. And then write poetry. Well, they were actually would sometimes they would present their findings in verse. <laughs> right. He, he didn't write poetry, but he was poetic. Okay. Anyway, uh, he was the first guy to not categorize, to understand that nature was this web of life. And when you think of environmentalism today or conservation, it's because of the insight that Alexander Van Humboldt had. He um, his first major trip was um, to South America, and he goes to Cuba and sails over to Mexico or Venezuela and literally walks across all of Venezuela and gets into the Amazon and climbs the mountains in Ecuador. And he's on the side of this mountain, Chimborazo, in Ecuador. And he gets this insight and he draws this map. And he basically figures out that, you know, this, the web of life thing, that, that there's the whole world is connected by these climate zones. Um, and so he does this map, and he influenced so many people. And uh, like Thomas Jefferson, for example, they were lifelong mm-hmm. uh, correspondents. Jefferson invited him to the to the White House because Jefferson was doing the uh, the uh, 
um, Northwest deal with the, with the Lewis and Clark and was interested in, 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 bi- in biology and zoology. And so they, you know, they compared notes and gave each other, you know, bushes and things. And mm-hmm. so he influenced a lot of people. Charles Darwin. Right. That's that's the first person I thought of when you started describing Charles this. Darwin uh, was a disciple of Humboldt. And Humboldt's theories lead right into uh, the theory of evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, he inspired Simon Bolivar, of all people, because uh, one of his one of his insights was that these colonial powers are coming to the New World and exploiting all these resources. And Simon Bolivar, who was a native of Venezuela, you know, took umbrage of that and decided, all right, I'm going to take the place over. He became a dictator, which was a right, whole other story, but. <laughs> Nonetheless, he was influenced by uh, Humboldt. Huh. So the book is uh, The Invention of Nature by Alexander, or excuse me, The Invention of Nature, Alexander Van Humboldt's New World by Andrea Andrew Wolf. Wolf. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of history, but it's, it's easy to read. It's a really good book. Todd, uh, and that leads right into mm-hmm. one of the books on your uh, list, uh, Oregon Trail by Rinker Buck. And right. this has gotten a lot of attention here. It's gotten a lot of attention. Um, it just came out in paperback, so we're it's back on our back on our staff pick uh, table. It's one of mine, one of my choices. Um, the author um, is uh, you know is nearer retirement age rather than uh, than than a lot of ad- of, of adventures. Uh, he decides uh, he. He happens to be at a at a museum. Uh, we're talking about the Oregon Trail, and and uh, he just says, "Well, how many people recreate it? How many people uh, reenact it?" And uh, museum folks get together and talk about it for a while. And he said, uh, "Not as far as we know, no one has." So uh, he and his uh, and his older brother uh, decide that they're going to do it. Uh, they haven't. They have a wagon built. Uh, they have they have a little bit of experience with uh, with mules and horse teams. Uh, uh, from growing up, um, so they decide that they can they can handle this, and they they make the um, the four month journey uh, for the first time in over a hundred years across yeah. the Oregon Trail. Um, and interstates there now. What's... Yeah, well they um, they find uh, you know they find paths as 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 close as they can off off road uh, across uh, across the plains, across farms, uh, through uh, through national parks. Now are they sleeping under the stars? They are sleeping under the okay. stars. I mean, that's right. that's part of the reason that he puts up with his brother's uh, Jack Ch- Jack Russell Terrier that he hates. Um, <laughs> But uh, but it does keep uh, the snakes and critters away at, at night, um, you know. And uh, so he has a and he has a lot of history to it too. Um, uh, talks about I mean I didn't know for example that uh, uh, part of what uh, George Washington's um, uh, work uh, on the farm uh, on at, at Mount Vernon was uh, was uh, really cr- uh, raising mules. Uh, he 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 saw that uh, the Western expansion would need mules and. A lot of the income of uh, early uh, 19th century was uh, was in mules, and uh, and how important they've been even up to to recent times uh, in the army, for example. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the history of the mule and the history of America are much more intertwined than I than I thought. Yeah, just a quick story. I was driving through uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country a couple weeks ago, and I saw uh, a car with New York license plates. And they were taking pictures Uh-oh. of a group of mules. Of course, yeah, <laughs> mules. Mule, like three or four mules yeah. were right up to the fence, and they yeah. were. Oh, then you know they're so they exotic. Spun, they, yeah, are, yeah. they are. <laughs> Randy emails. I've been reading a local writer series, the Minya Kitchen series. Is that? Uh, are you familiar with that? I do not know. Okay, it's M I 
N-A. So it's either Minya or Minna. Minna Kitchen Series by Liz Lund. It's a fun, quirky series, and it's available through Amazon. I thought I would email you and mention her book series because she's a great friend and a wonderful writer. Writer. She has a whole series of books and is working on a newer series that would be perfect for summer reading. Also, who else do we have here sending a suggestion? Christine says, I'm currently reading A Man Called Love by Frederick Bachman. Or Bachman. It's great. Has anyone read it? A uh, Man Called Ove. O-V-E. Um, no, this says a man called Love. Okay. It's, okay. It, well, it, anyway, it's a man called Love, um, and uh, he is a. Um, That's probably a spell check that that came. Out. <laughs> right. Probably. <laughs> probably it's yeah. probably, probably texting, and the, and the phone yeah. and the phone yeah. corrected it. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, two of our two of our staff uh, have it as one of their staff picks, uh, and uh, um, it's one of those. Uh, the main character is is one of those curmudgeons that we all that we all know that uh, gets involved in um, in in uh, in a series of, of disputes in this neighborhood, and it's. it's um, I believe it's, I believe it's Norwegian to start. Um, it's it's it, it's it's translated. It, it, he's got three novels now translated into in, in English, but um, you know he's uh, fun and cantankerous and uh, one of those people that that you can that just comes up with uh, you know comments about his neighborhood that that. You know, you you always want to say, but you never you never actually do. Uh, everyone knows someone like that. We do. Eventually, you get to an age where you're that person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> we only have about uh, two minutes left. I want to thank all three of you for being with us today. And uh, Catherine, I don't know whether we could go through a complete program where we did not talk about Jane Austen. Uh, on your list, love and friendship, in which Jane Austen's Lady Susan Vernon is entirely vindicated by Whit Stillman. Right, and this is Whit Stillman has just made the movie. Movie, which is uh, playing for maybe a little while longer here. It's uh, his own um, uh, taking sort of an unfinished or epistolary letter-based novel that Jane Austen wrote really early on in her career and uh, never was uh, finished or published, and he's translated into sort of a, a more traditional narrative and now has made a film of it, and it, it's a fun and lighthearted thing, although I even more than Jane Austen, what I'd be remiss not to say is the, the book day of the year is July 31st when Harry Potter and the Cursed Child comes out, and that's Harry <laughs> Potter Day at our store, so we, we open not at midnight, but at noon to have all-day activities. You can come by, and pre people can pre-order the books in-store, and if you do you get to wear our sorting hat um, and so that's really the book event of the season coming and, up in right. July and ours uh, and our Harry Potter day is Saturday leading up to the kids are welcome all day uh, Harry Potter activities and we are having midnight release of the of the book do people wait outside the store? Be, pe well, in the yeah. store, we'll be we'll be open and people will be waiting. We'll have we'll have uh, parties, activities, trivia, and uh, and then at midnight, uh, it, it is a script. It's a script for the play rather than a novel, and so we'll uh, we'll we'll do the first uh, first few pages um, at you know uh, right there at midnight. So, well, I always get the sense that that is a big party. That uh, yeah, that, oh, that's fun. part. That's part of it is that not just the book that's coming out, but also uh, right. I mean, when when, the, when there's a book that people love you know, are are so excited about, it's it's so much fun at the store in the weeks leading up to, and then being able to talk to people after uh, after the after they've read it. It's a, it's a big part of what we what, what we, why we love doing what we do. Well, I uh, I know that we did not have enough time today. I want to thank all three of you for being with us, Catherine Lawrence, owner of. 
Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg, Todd Dickinson, owner of Aaron's Books and Lidditz, and John Walker, who blogs at johnosbookreviews.com. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks. Thanks, Thank you. Coming up tomorrow on Smart Talk, uh, a couple of different uh, topics, but uh, one, Central Penn Business Journal has done an extensive series on medical marijuana here in Pennsylvania. That's coming up tomorrow.